Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Ajawak Kapashisit, an actor you may have seen in Indian Road Trip and Kid West, or in several short films. This week, you'll see him on the big screen in Stephen Campanelli's adaptation of Richard Wagamese's Indian Horse, as the adult version of the title character Saul Ironhorse. And Adjewick picked a great movie, Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese's 1990 masterpiece about life on the fringes of the New York Mafia, with Ray Liotta as Henry Hill, a foot soldier who works his way up to what's basically mobster middle management. Joe Pesci is Tommy DeVito, a hair-trigger psychotic who's also kind of Henry's best pal. And Robert De Niro is Jimmy Conway, who's their mentor right up until he isn't. This is not to count out Lorraine Bracco or Paul Sorvino or any of the other amazing actors in the film. It's just hard to synopsize the film in any way. It's packed with incident and character, filled to bursting with tiny, perfectly observed moments. Adapted by Scorsese and Nicholas Pileggi from Pileggi's book Wise Guy, it's one of the best movies of its genre, if not the best, and quite possibly the finest film Martin Scorsese has ever made. I know that's really saying something, but I'm saying it. This is someone else's movie. I think the thing about this movie that really kind of works for me is that obviously it has all this great talent in it and you know Scorsese like he sure. makes amazing things and but but the thing about this specific mafia film is that this was the first one that I saw where like the mafia characters they were just um they were a lot more human you know okay, yeah. like Yes, they have all this br- brutality in them, like all these things that they do, all these people they kill. But when they're not doing that, they have all these like really funny conversations. Like when I was watching it as a kid, like a lot of it was just a comedy to me. Yeah, I mean it. It is a comedy. Yeah, a lot of it is just mm-hmm. straight up character. Yeah, stuff, right. Yeah, I mean and then uh, somebody stabs someone in the neck and. Yeah, like uh, we can go into spoilers, right? Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I think at this point, what is it? Almost thirty years old now. Yeah, I was what ninety. 90. Yeah. Yeah. Lost to Dances with Wolves. I still don't fully understand how that happened. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's, there's things going on there. Yeah. Um, but I'm sorry, you were saying about spoiler yeah, territory. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, there's the whole sequence where, like, Spider makes the joke at uh, Tommy's expense and then Tommy shoots him. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Henry walks over and he's like, oh, he's dead. And he's like, Lucky shot. What do you want from me? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. just like these, just like great moments. These great one-liners, and so, he's just, he's he's hilarious. Joe Pesci. He's just so hilarious in that role. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this was the year after Lethal Weapon. And, yeah, you know, we'd all we'd seen him in in Raging Bull, but he was sort of a calmer presence. He was the one who was mm-hmm. trying to talk Lamada down. Yeah, and then he suddenly gets this reputation for for comedy. And now back to this, where he he just marries both of those disciplines, and he's, yeah, he's terrifying, but he's also pretty funny. Yeah, and like I think that like always adds the tension to the scene he's in because at the drop of a hat he can just flip, and yeah. he'll be be making all these jokes, and then all of a sudden it's not a joke anymore, and somebody might be dead. Yeah, and I I just love that. Yeah, or he great. reverses it, like the time, the moment when you know the whole "Do you think I'm funny?" Yeah, I'm a clown, the funny how thing, and it's. Yeah, I remember I saw that in a theater, like, the weekend it opened, and you could, like, you heard the air go out of the... Everybody just sucked in their breath and waited to see where it was going to go. And then 
people were knocking Liotta, like, people were knocking Ray Liotta for the way he laughs after that, but he's terrified. It's, such a, <laughs> it's not a natural laugh. Like, it's a guy pretending to be yeah. relieved when he, and laughing when he's still, like, his heart's still beating in a thousand beats a second and he's going to fall over dead from terror. Yeah. 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 So how old were you when you first saw it? What was your first experience? God. I was y- definitely younger than I probably should have been. Okay. Um, That's the best way to see these Yeah, things. yeah. Uh, I would guess maybe like eight or nine, something like that. Okay. You know, I had a couple of older siblings and cousins and stuff like that, so they loved it and they threw it on. And so you were just there? Yeah. It's just like, it's just always been a part of our lives. Like, from, as far back as I can remember, talking with like one of my sisters or my brother... One of my brothers, like, making jokes, like, straight out of the movie, like, pulling a reference. And, like, this in, like, Casino, like, just okay. pulling stuff like that all the time. So, uh, was it your introduction into Scorsese as well? Was it the first yeah. time you'd experienced Yeah, I think Goodfellas was, yeah. for sure. You may have already said that. I'm not totally sure. Sorry. I was no, up really late last I, night. This <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I love the idea of seeing these movies too young. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, Bridie Elliott talked about seeing Rosemary's Baby when she was eight or nine, and, it's like, she was definitely too young for it but she was young enough that the worst stuff went past her that oh, it wasn't sure. until later that she revisited it and saw I mean Goodfellas isn't as suggestive as, as Rosemary's Baby it's pretty much upfront about everything yeah um, mm-hmm. the brutality the violence the uh, oh, everything about it is so glorious though I mean mm-hmm. that's that's what I keep thinking Scorsese's movies they're like cocaine for kids because they come at you so hard mm-hmm. that you just get you either get rolled over by them and drown in them that's a bad cocaine analogy or or, <laughs> or you are i want more and and my, like my first experience of of him at all i think was seeing i probably saw raging bull first way too young i would have been 11 or 12 and that was it i was hooked after that i saw sure. everything else theatrically that i could and then when goodfellas came out i was in my early 20s and it was just I, I still think it's his best movie. I mean, even even more so than the obvious ones, Taxi Driver or, or mm-hmm. Raging Bull. I think Goodfellas is the synthesis of his work. It's all of his discipline and all of the fun. Yeah. And then it turns on you and goes so bad so fast. Mm-hmm. That, like that ride is so thrilling to yeah. experience. Yeah, and I like I, I I haven't seen all of his work, but I'm inclined to agree with you as well from what I've seen. Um, there's there's something about it. You know, I've I've heard him talk about it, and a lot of it really kind of just draws from what he remembers growing up, mm-hmm. you know, like the the collars. He he didn't like how the how the costumers were doing the collars, so he called his mother in and she <laughs> did them because she was the only one who could do it right. And like the whole sequence with his mother at was it like late in the night? Yeah, Tommy's house. Yeah, Tommy's, Tommy's parents' house. At Tommy's mother's house, like having the conversation about how it's all like improv based on their experience of. Like, they've known each other for years at this point. You know, Pesci had worked with him, yeah. and, and De Niro had worked with him a lot. So they all knew his mother. And Ray Liotta didn't really know her as well, I feel like, as what I read or heard. Or heard. So, like, you know, he's kind of a bit more reserved, but yeah. they're, like, very much, like, in that. And then, like, that kind of plays into it, too, where yeah. she's like, hey, what, why are you so quiet, you know? Yeah, it comes off as him trying to be respectful and also terrified. Yes, yeah. he's the one, and that is like the the window of Henry Hill is such a, a terrific hook because he's not fully Italian. He can't pass, or he can pass briefly in any situation, but he's always eventually outed through his own uh, awkwardness or grasping nature, or or ultimately being a weasel because he is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's such a it's such a great way into the world because it justifies all the things that Scorsese loves to do, which is piling on exposition through you know like he shows doesn't he shows and tells in this film mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say he he finds his way in with the monologues and the rabbiting and the character development and those gorgeous single takes but he's also celebrating them from a at a remove because it's a world that our hero can't fully enter yeah and that we can't we don't want to fully enter mm-hmm. but he makes us want to so much <laughs> there's there, there's a lot of that there's a whole lot of seeing things about it that that are, that are like liberating in a certain way you know they're yeah. things that that most people will never experience and obviously there are plenty of parts of that that's good that they don't experience but there are like certain things that just it just seems so free like they yeah. just they do what they want to do they want to go here they go there they they want to sit at at the front table they just go to the front table and they take it and for a lot of people that's like really liberating to just live that life to yeah. like imagine living that life. Yeah, well the gangster power fantasy, I mean, god, it goes back to the, the 20s or 30s. It's always been part of cinema. Um, I guess what the way the thing that I've never understood is how the thug life thing from Scarface from the Pacino Scarface that took off in the 80s and was re- and was embraced and it became a part of hip hop culture and it's, it's this whole thing. It's like nobody ever finishes the movies. Like they never realize that no one wins in these films. Like everybody ends up dead or in prison, or or in, in Henry's case, you know, he, he lives in a suburb like a schnook, which is still a line that I reference constantly in my <laughs> head. Like, uh, what is it? Yes, from marinara sauce, and you got egg noodles and ketchup, and that's the best case scenario. Yeah, no one is coming to kill you. Yeah, um, and and the thing about the Scorsese films that I've that I love so much is that the crash is always part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in, you know, Casino is all about that too. Wolf of Wall Street has that element of it. You you are not supposed to celebrate these guys once the movie is over. Sure. But everybody's still riding the high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so seductive. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that stood out to me when I was watching these, especially when it comes to like, uh, you know, mafia films, um, are that these people, they they don't live what in a lot of cinema and for a lot of people is like a typical life. Sure. Yeah. And for a lot of people, like native people don't usually live that like suburban life, like that people a lot of times end up living, you know, like that Henry, how Henry Hill ends up living in the suburbs in, in like this cookie cutter lifestyle. That's not the reality for a lot of people. And, and a lot of people don't want that to be their reality. So when they see characters like this that reject that 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 norm that status quo mm-hmm. and you know try to do something different, that's like really interesting to them. That's compelling because that's something they can relate to in certain ways. Yeah. Because that's not that's a world that has been closed off to them. I hadn't even considered that, but yeah, the even what we agree on as the American dream isn't that anymore for most people, right? Because the middle class is, in the states has disappeared. But if you come up to Canada and beyond. <clears throat> the cities and the most yeah the most conformist aspects yeah it's a different kind of rejection mm-hmm. if you but does that mean embracing the means that it takes these characters to get there right like that's what I mean about people not learning the lessons of the films and you embrace the character's freedom but you you almost have to will yourself into not accepting the endings well yeah I, I mean I so think, it's a different context than, yeah it, it, it's a different context but there's also the fact that Maybe you would know better than I. Like 
are there a whole lot of movies that really kind of show that without showing, without being from the context of a criminal lifestyle or something like that, you know, of, of rejecting that norm in a certain there, way? Yeah, but there, there are, but there are weird things, weird being relative, but there's things like, you know, Into the Wild, where the character ends up dead, where abandoning society means you literally go away and then you make a mistake and it, the environment poisons you. Uh, or the Terrence Malick films where people just wander around in stylized representations of freedom, but they're not, they're still, you know, they're still uh, white middle class people who've escaped. Mm. It's, it's, uh, it's a different kind of punishment, I guess, socially speaking, in these films for, for leaving. Um, you know, Lost in America is the only one I can think of that, that played it out realistically with the Albert Brooks film where he talks his wife into selling their house and buying a Winnebago and traveling in America. Uh, like free spirits, they immediately lose all their money in a casino and they end up having to um, go back. And the, like I think his last, li- his last lines are, I go get my job back and I eat shit? Sure, let's do that. And they just conform again immediately within, I think, weeks in terms of the film. Mm. And that's 1982, 1983. That's the last time anybody's really tried to do that. One, one of the movies that's coming to mind for me now that maybe tries to do something like that is um, Up in the Air, the George Clooney yeah, film from yeah. a few years ago. He's so committed to his yeah. corporate lifestyle mm-hmm. that he doesn't have a home. Yeah, he's yeah. like totally, he, he's, he is a part of the machine. Like, yes. Yeah. And, and he's made himself into that. And then by the end of the movie, he's like, comes out of that. And like, that's like the last sequence is him letting go of his um, suitcase for the first time. He yeah. just kind of lets go and like looks at, all of the opportunities of you can do anything. He can, he can go anywhere. He has all the great opportunities to do so. And like, that's the first time he's like truly free in the entire film. Right. You know? And it leaves him on a plane, doesn't it? Isn't the last end, the last moment of him is something he's, he's in a seat flying forever. Yeah. It's like, um, it, it's, it's shot from behind and it's him looking at like the thing saying where all the departures are. Mm-hmm. And then the very next one is just the plane, like that's in right. the clouds, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's, it's going anywhere, you know, everywhere. Jason Reitman's art period. <laughs> I mean, I do like that movie quite a bit. I but, really like that movie. Yeah. And it, it is, it's about someone, I, I suppose the parallel or the, the connection is that it's someone who believes he's got the world figured out, mm-hmm. um, knows exactly where to put his luggage, exactly which security line to go through and all of that, and still has to confront the fact that it, he's empty inside. Mm-hmm. And in Goodfellas, everybody... Well, nobody knows they're empty, right? They're all having a great time mm-hmm. until the bill comes due. Sure. And the Lufthansa heist is presented as this delirious, thrilling, fun sequence. And it is. Like, it's great to be part of that. Even, you know, like the planning of it and the, the, the dissemination of the money and everybody's celebratory and it's great. And then, oh, mistake, 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 mistake. And that's how it all falls apart. But it's been waiting to fall apart for a really long time. Mm-hmm. This was always coming. Yeah. That moral arc of the gangster movie. Yeah. But it still feels so, it's so much fun. And the <laughs> details are so... Even when it's all falling apart, we have to we have to think about pasta sauce. Yeah. We have to think about mm-hmm. the, the minutiae of daily life. And, you know, Henry's not a bad person. He, he doesn't kill that many people compared <laughs> to the people around him. Yeah. And you're constantly reminded... I mean, well, the, on repeat viewings, I'm constantly reminded that we're watching the confessions of a guy who got caught. So yeah. he's probably doing his part to push the blame off to other people, sure, find sure. more convenient psychos. Mm-hmm. But it's like, 
it, it keeps opening up new layers of interpretation, and, and that's what Scorsese does. Like the, the, His greatest strength is packing his films, I think, so full of observation, detail, character, yeah. that you can just... You could watch an entire... Or rather, you could have an entire viewing where all you do is watch what Jimmy's doing mm-hmm. and, and see how De Niro, who was just starting to get old, <laughs> ages over... I mean, that it's it's great for him because yeah. Midnight Friends like two years earlier and he looks young in that. Yeah, and here they age him over 30 years, but the aging is a lot less subtle on him than it is on everybody else. And mm-hmm. just, you sort of see who old Robert De Niro is going to be. Mm-hmm. And he's like he's so present in that. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's great. I mean, like... I just remember, like, um, was it Paul Sorvino in there? Paulie. Yeah, he's he's perfect. You know, yeah. it it's it's great. Like the the thing when he's when he's cutting the garlic in prison was, with yeah. uh, with a razor blade. Yeah, and it's so and and that's just like another moment of like putting all this like humanity into it and 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 just kind of showing like yes, like you've seen this before. You've seen the you've seen the shootouts. You've seen the the murders, but like. This is them, like, in their element in between all of that, you know? Yeah. This is them just living their life when they're not doing that, you yeah. know? On, on, was it, fri- Friday nights are for the wives, Saturday nights are for the girlfriends, the girlfriends, and then Sunday nights are, like, playing cards with the boys, you know? Yeah. And, like, it's just, it's just so beautiful to show all of those moments. <coughs> and then they have the whole sequence, you know, towards the end when, when Henry's starting to, like, come undone. He's like... I got I got to get home and I got to make the meatballs, but I also got to like drop off these silencers and then I got to go and see my guys from Philly coming in, you know. It's and and like that's something that everybody can relate to. It's like being overwhelmed with all this stuff. Like obviously to him it's the extreme and it has sure. all these other things, but like those are just human things. Yeah, you know? and it shows us how many plates he's always been spinning. Yeah, too, right. Like the load is finally crushing him, but he's been doing all this stuff all along. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the Goodfellas, the garlic thing, uh, which I just. Everybody always cites it, and so do I, because it's this wonderful moment of observation where you actually feel like the movie is teaching you something that mm-hmm. you can use. It's the only thing you can use. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm the only person who's, like, tried to do that <laughs> after that. Yeah. Well, um, a friend of mine is a chef, and in his first recipe book, he he wrote, Slice the Garlic, Goodfellas Thin. And <laughs> his wife said, you have to explain that. And he said, no, I don't think I do. <laughs> And I think he's right. I think that's like that's a reference you can get away with. It's permeated because mm-hmm. it is somehow. I think now there's probably people who've never seen the movie who know what that means. Yeah, and it's just this marvelous character point. And that and that and, and Servino's warmth is something that I always forget. Then I see the movie again because you remember. I remember the shots of him of Polly being suspicious and scowling. Yeah, because he's got such a great forehead for that. Mm-hmm. But then you think about the scene where Henry does time as a kid, like the first time he gets busted, and Polly is there. You broke your cherry. <laughs> he's so excited. He's like a proud father. Yeah, it's such a great human moment that mm-hmm. again you see how this lifestyle becomes seductive and how a kid would want to be part of this especially an outsider kid like Henry but yeah you're not thinking about the morals you're not thinking about the bad part you that and that's the thing that Goodfellas gets that so few of the other movies seem to mm-hmm. is that why would you think about the bad stuff when you're having so much fun yeah and it's it's like the trick that works on the audience because that's where Scorsese's style comes in you're like the first moment and you're just grabbed by the back of the neck and yanked into this thing and it's the music's pumping and it's great and you never mind that there's a body in the trunk we're just a bunch of guys having a good time on a, in a car <laughs> there's a body in the trunk dude <laughs> just keep coming back to that <laughs> oh man 
Yeah, I need to watch that again now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was like trying to trying to watch it. I was I was thinking of watching it to lead up to this, but I, I just didn't have enough time. But you know, oh, that's fine. Sometimes it's better when people haven't seen it in a while yeah. because you get to engage with the bits you remember most vividly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is like I've I've seen it like so many times that like a lot of things just like naturally like come back to me. Sure, yeah. You know, like the whole sequence when when um, De Niro starts getting like really suspicious again. And all of a sudden, he's like, he's there and he's smoking, and then uh, cream comes on. Yeah. You know, and he's just like, like that slow, like. Oh, the push shot in, in the diner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pushing. He's like, like you just know, you can just see it on his face. And when the music comes, it just it it says everything. It's like this is where it all gets really bad for people. Yeah. And it's and, so beautiful. And it's hanging on his subtlety as an actor, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a big scene, but it wouldn't work if he was overselling it. Yeah. I mean, the the. I'm trying to think when it. Ha- I don't know when it happened. Probably in the mid 2000s when De Niro stopped being a subtle actor. Is like his and and you know he can do whatever he wants. He has the career behind him. It's fine. We all know. You know, no one is taking away Godfather Two or Goodfellas or Taxi Driver or Raging Bull. Those are never going away. And he gave a real performance in the film, in a, the English adaptation of Everything's Everybody's Fine, which was surprisingly good. Nobody saw it, but. He's really good in it, playing just a, a father who's grown distant from his three kids, his adult kids. And you you think about the self-parody stuff he did in the Meet the Parents movies, mm-hmm. and they're so close in time to Goodfellas and Heat and, and his, like, his great textured stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think about today's De Niro trying a, a role like, of Jimmy in a movie like Goodfellas, and he'd be too big. Like, that, that's the quiet moments, the way that he never goes too high... He doesn't outshout. He doesn't try to outshout Tommy or Henry. He just he he's a moral figure. He brings in authority and shuts things down, but he's the worst of them. Mm. Like that that mm-hmm. idea of of not indicating his his depths of of self preservation. Like everything he does is very pragmatic. He he's willing to kill anyone who jeopardizes him, as we see. Mm-hmm. But there's so much consideration in that performance yeah uh it's watching it again it really just it shocked me how small he's willing to be mm-hmm. i guess and this and and then you have the scene with Bracco with the with come and come and look at the dresses coming this way coming this way he's not overselling that either but yeah. it's unnerving yeah yeah you you feel all kinds of ways about it and like yeah like i i, I wonder about that you know i i think i think it's i think he's like enough of he's he's a master you know he's 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 proven himself a million times over. Like, yeah. and I, I would be like, any, anytime I see that he's in a movie, I'm like more interested immediately because yeah. like he's just somebody that knows how to do it better than most people will ever learn how to do it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, certainly um, when he's got a director who's willing to direct him, he can be, yeah, riveting. He's, he's, it's. I mean, you look at his the, the breadth of his career, and the, the five or six great performances could be different people, mm-hmm. just different actors. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, again, Midnight Run and Goodfellas are two years apart, and they feel so completely removed. They're different, like they're different genres, they're different tones. He's perfect in both of them, and he's still essentially himself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you wouldn't recognize Jimmy and Jack are two different characters, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Like two different physical. He even carries himself differently. Yeah. In uh, in Goodfellas, he's he's working with a different center of gravity somehow. Mm-hmm. Like his weight's wrong. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, 
And then somehow Pesci wins the Oscar, which <laughs> I mean that is a, a that is a well deserved sure. Oscar. Like he put an amazing work on that. Oh yeah, no, no disrespect to anybody on the film, but he he pulls focus, I guess, in a way, because um, the bigger Tommy is, the smaller Jimmy gets, and then you've got Liotta in the middle, just trying to trying to figure out how to. He's like he's physically trying to walk a tightrope between them all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's actually great to watch. Um, uh, Jimmy and and Tommy in in a scene together because it's it's like a, like this like weird yo yo yin and yang thing yeah, yeah. where like one of them's big the other one's like small and like they just they they counterbalance each other so well and it's just it's beautiful to see every time and then I love when like um, he uh, antagonizes a little like he eggs him on yeah. like and it and it it just like adds so much more to it because it's just like so like it's a real friendship. And you can see it, and yeah. you, can, you can see them like really like having a good time, and making a joke at the other one's expense, and the other one like is mad about it, but like not that mad, yeah. like not mad enough to make it a thing, you know? Right? Yeah, it's the busting your balls. Thing yeah, exactly. Versus a genuine insult. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Jimmy, I think yeah, it's now that you mention it, there's that moment where he's sort of he's telling him to calm down, but he's not really telling him to calm down. It's like yeah, 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 come on, and it's not gonna go well. If anyone else does that to him, mm-hmm. but yeah, Tommy, like Jimmy, either knows Tommy's not a threat to him or he has a gun on him at all times. Yeah, and can yeah. take him out if it came to that. Mm-hmm. But that's the the unpredictability of Pesci's performance is so, just so unsettling. The way that his eyes lock, the way that his shoulders move when he gets mad, that something is changing physically in him that he can't restrain. It's like mm-hmm. he's gonna Hulk out this little guy yeah. who's still. Way more dangerous than anybody else in the room. Yeah, you just you just see it building like in him, like exponentially by mm. the second, and it's like this thing's gonna blow, and there's like nothing anybody can do about yeah, it. And it's yeah. just like, how do we minimize the damage in this moment? Yeah, and it, it's just it it's, turns out you have to put him down. Yeah. <laughs> that's apparently that's how you deal with it in the end. Yeah, and again, that is so marvelously handled as a show not tell moment. Just when 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 Tommy reaches that little rec room and. The, the the way he deflates before he gets killed is yeah. just so. I remember again like the whole room going oh like they felt it. Um, this was I don't know seven. How much? How many people did the Uptown One hold? Six hundred, seven hundred people. I just it was just great to watch that with a crowd because oh yeah you it breathes it ebbs it flows and then mm-hmm. that happens and oh everybody sad for the man we just watched butcher five people oh yeah of it's <laughs> and it, it, it's it's so interesting that like you know he is. Definitely not a great person. He definitely does a lot of terrible things. But he's so endearing yeah. in so many of his moments. Like, even when he's, like, at his mom's house, and he's like, by the way, Mom, I'm going to take this knife. Yes. And, like, you know exactly what it's for at that point. He, <laughs> like, he, like, he even, like, tells you what yeah. it's for. He's like, I got to go in. I got to, like, hack it off. Like, yeah, this the thing. paw. The paw. The way yeah. he says that. It's, <laughs> the, like, it's like a word he's just kind of remembered from yeah, a book. Yeah. It's like, he he it's knows what right. it is, but he doesn't know. The and hoof. Then, the paw. Yeah, he's like, the paw. The paw. The paw. And, then, and then you just see, like, Daenerys in the corner, like, the hoof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> he's like, Yeah. And it's, it's great, but, like, you know what the knife is for. And when he pulls it out, he's like, Mom, I'm going to borrow this. I'm going to bring it back, but I'm going to... <laughs> like, you start laughing. <laughs> yeah. You're just like oh, that's so dark. And he's got to, you know he's going to use it. You know he's going to bring it back. And you know exactly what it's for. And it's like a brutal thing. Yeah. But you're just like giddy like watching yeah. this whole thing unwind. It's right? inventive. It's a good solution. Yeah. Right? Like the best, the best crime films are the ones that make us 
not only sympathize with the bad guys, but root for them and hope they get out. And then, you know, like maybe you get to question why you're rooting for them. Yeah. But in, yeah, you're right. In the moment, it's just like, oh yeah, that's very clever. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I had a friend who was that clever. Yeah. No, I don't. No, no, I don't. <laughs> Wait, that's for killing. Or, or, or like when, when Jimmy uh, takes the truck, I think is one of the early scenes when you like first meet him and like he takes the dude's wallet, he takes his ID and he, like he kind of gives him this look and he's like, you may know who we are, but we know who you are. Yeah. You understand? And then he just, like, puts a $20 bill in there and, like, takes off. And you're just like, that says so much. Like, yeah. and, like somebody says that to you, you know immediately what they mean. Yeah. You know immediately where that's going to go, you know? Yeah. It's not a very veiled threat. No. But he, doesn't, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. Yeah, you know? and that's, the, like, the beauty of that, too. It's not. This is not the first time he's done that. It's probably not the 50th time he's yeah, done that. Yeah, you know. It's just rote. <laughs> he doesn't have to do anything more. He... I think that's what I mean about De Niro tamping himself down. It's like he's gone through this mo- these motions before we ever met him, and it's all just muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I guess, when he stops being a father figure to people, that's why it lands so hard, because we feel Henry's betrayal. Because mm-hmm. this guy, like, he doesn't even walk fast. What's he going to do? Mm-hmm. He's not threatening. Oh, no, no, that's right. He used to be. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing it again because he finally has to. Yeah. And, and, the, and the same with uh, Polly, when, like, when when Henry shows up and he needs some money and it's like towards the end of the movie yeah. and and he's like telling the sob story that, you know, Polly's been there and seen that and heard that from so many people before and he's so like disappointed he has to yeah. hear this from this kid that showed so much promise that he like loved. And so like he gives him some money and he's like and kinda of just gonna look like, Now I gotta turn my back on you. Yeah. And like that hits so hard, like when you hear that. And then Ray Liotta just sells it so well. Yeah. Just like, it's, it cuts deep. You're like, oh, that's, that's a hard one. You know, like Through the cocaine, through the desperation. Yeah, through all those, like, you see a kid. Like, that, that phrase when like, when somebody says like, you know, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's his version of that. It's like, now I got to turn my back on you. Yeah. And even, it sets up the state's evidence thing, like, going to the feds, going to the witness protection, because he's mad at them. Mm-hmm. They stopped liking him first. Yeah. So anything he does is justified. It's like a kid lashing out mm-hmm. with, you know, a pile of bodies behind him. Yeah. 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 It's, oh God, it's, yeah, and no, I just want to watch it again right now. The, like, the, the best movies are the ones that live in you forever, but also keep saying, come on back. Let's, yeah. Let's, come on, spin us up again. Yeah, well, that, time. that was just happening to me. I, I, we were just talking about that. Um, the Shining. I um oh, yeah. I, I just did this play in Minneapolis and this theater we were in, it's called the Southern Theater and it um apparently is haunted. Okay. Right? Um as all the best theaters are. Yes, yes. I, I had one minor haunting experience, but it, it wasn't wasn't bad. Um it was just apparently there's a ghost that whistles and I definitely heard some whistling going okay. on in this in this corner. It's not just a draft. Uh, it was like a very like human a, whistle, a musical whistle, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, but then, um, the like the backstage area, like the green room, um, the lighting in there and everything, it just like it ran, reminded me so much of The Shining. And I'm like, so there's this like old building that's like potentially haunted, has like this this incredible lighting in it. So like I just like got The Shining stuck in my head, and just, <laughs> like every night I would get home and I like I'm like I'm gonna watch it tonight. I'm gonna watch it tonight. And I don't like scary movies at all. I'm like, I'm not big on them. Okay. Because like, I get scared pretty easily. But The Shining is one that like, I can usually like do because it's just so good, right? Yeah. I have like a short list of, of horror films that I will watch, you know. The Shining, um, Alien, 
and uh, Get Out are definitely on that list. Okay. Um, oh, uh, what you call it? What's, what's the other one? Um, the John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, yeah. that's And the, none of those is really pure... Yeah, like they, slasher. They're all conceptual horror films. Yeah, and they're all they're among my favorites too. They're mm-hmm. all great. Yeah, they all have like there's just something about them that always work for me. But um, yeah, like The Shining. I was um, I, w- I was trying to watch it the past couple of nights, but like it's like way late at night, like two a.m. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't think I can get through this whole thing right now. Yeah, but, and why uh, would you? You can't just start it. No, they, you know they might not make it out this time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, and it's. Every time I go back to it, like, I discover new things. Like, a new line of dialogue that I totally forgot was there. That, like, totally clicks with something that happens later that I I forgot happened also, you know? It is... Yeah, it's... It's funny, the... The way it gets into the... I mean, you know, Stephen King famously hated it because he thinks it doesn't represent his novel. But Mm -hmm. the way that Kubrick leverages you in... Um, traps you almost immediately with these characters and and shows you right off the bat that that Jack Torrance is not a healthy person. Mm-hmm. I think it's more disturbing that way. The book is about alcoholism and ghosts and in a more metaphorical sense, and this movie's like, nope, it's all happening. Yeah, yeah, like, he's I, falling apart. Yeah, when I try to like explain it to people that haven't seen it, like I, I I say, you know, a lot of these a lot of horror films like they have these jump scares and all that, and and this one is like not really about that. Like it tells you. Within the first, like, five minutes, like, what's going to happen? Yeah. It's, like... In a really calm way. Yeah, yeah. It's... it's I, I kind of describe it as, like, dread as opposed to, like, something else, you know? Like, sure. You just... You know this thing is coming, and it's just, like, it's how do we get to this terrible moment that's, like, going to appear. Like, they're having an interview. It's like, oh, man, by the way, like, yeah. people got murdered here really brutally in this way. And he's like, oh, well, you won't have to worry about that with me. Yeah, you'll be fine, right? <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't think that we're going to have any trouble at all. Yeah. And, like, 100%, you're like, why did you say that? Like, why did you, why did you have to set that up all yeah. of a sudden? But it's the same central delusion of everybody in Goodfellas, right? Because they don't think it's going to happen to them. They're going to be mm-hmm. the ones who get away or retire or yeah. end happily. Mm-hmm. And then we see that, and it means burning everybody, losing everything, being unhappy, not having any cocaine, <laughs> and just, you know, like just generally... Because Henry's... The, the drug addiction arc comes so fast yeah. that I mean it, it makes perfect sense. I assume that's what it's like. You know, like you have no idea how deep you're in and then you're in. Yeah. But watching him win in quotes, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's all about all the cool stuff he used to do. Now he's that guy. Yeah. Uh, and he can't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And we're you know, he's talking to us in the end that the direct address in the in the courtroom is so jarring because he he's been voiceover the whole time and then to see him suddenly start talking to the camera to realize oh yeah we're the only ones who he can tell because he can't talk to and he literally can't tell anybody else all these cool stories yeah all of this fun he used to have and he's alone with his memories and that's that's gotta suck and somehow i remain sympathetic to this guy who's not a good person oh yeah uh at all in mm-hmm. the end he betrays literally everyone he'd already been betraying his wife and now he's betraying his entire crime family but they were mm-hmm. criminals so that's fine it's it's just this you still don't want it to end when it's over when it yeah. goes to my way and and the good old days and the the the, the adrenaline high spikes again mm-hmm. i you know you spend two and a half hours with your heart just pounding oh with, yeah with delight at all this awful stuff yeah i mean like the the narration throughout is just like it's so it's like so perfect like it it starts in that first moment he's like 
for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah. And then like rags to riches just comes right in. Yeah. And like immediately I was like, yes, I'm hooked on this. Yeah. This is great. And it just like subtly comes in and out throughout the entire thing. Just talking about like all these little subtle things that like they don't even like go into too much detail about like this guy named Jimmy two times because right. he always says everything twice. Yeah. And, and like he just like continues to like the, the frame is there. And he just continues to paint in some of the the background stuff that's that's most of the time you'd never know. Yeah. And then it just keeps going. And then as as you're saying at the end when he comes out from behind the witness desk and he comes up right up to the camera and he's like, and now it's over. And like that hits. Yeah. That hits you just like. Oh, it was a no. fun ride. Yeah, man. This was like this was the journey. Yeah. This is where we were. Oh. Yeah. It's that the. There's that joy in Revelation where it's just showing you new things about this business that every cliche has a reason that it's a cliche and we get to watch all of them be developed. We get to see the Copacabana. We you get to see what passed for celebration, what what people thought was the lifestyle they were chasing, mm-hmm. what, what class was supposed to be. But these people are all utterly without class. They're yeah. like morally depraved, but also their taste is just bad. Mm-hmm. And and we're allowed to see it before the characters do. Yeah. And then the idea that you know the people get killed over fur coats and then are left in the bloodied fur coat to just to guarantee that it can never be reused. Everything is sullied. Everything is soiled. Everything is ruined. Mm-hmm. The car, you know, the bodies are found in the car with the, with the, the dealer sticker still in the window. Yeah, yeah. It's all just everything about it is a uh, a uh, degraded. Yeah. Like everything that they touch goes bad. Everything that. Well, not everything they touch, but when it when it ends, everything is toxic. Everything is contaminated, mm-hmm. and yeah. we're just left with the wreckage of it. Yeah, it's it's a ride. Yeah, it's still fun. That's <laughs> yeah. it, right? Like you're just you're still looking at all this cool discarded stuff, going, eh, "It's still pretty neat." Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, oh yeah, like like they were having fun. Oh man, like I I remember like watching it, and they they like start showing the discovery of the body. Yeah, like, the Layla sequence, which is so just, yeah. Like, almost ruins that song mm-hmm. because I love it and now um, I hear that epilogue the piano stuff start up and it's like you can't stop you can't not think about bodies in exactly yeah <laughs> thanks like, Marty it's like slow build up to this this Cadillac that you just have this whole fight about and you're just like oh man yeah. like everything went wrong there and then like you have the the Samuel Jackson scene and that oh, one that was a great one Stax yeah when yeah when Stax is killed because that's like you like you don't necessarily see it all coming. Like you, you're, it's kind of a weird scene at first. Yeah, yeah. It's just like kind of off-putting, much like the the last moment with Tommy, right before he gets whacked. But like you have the, the scene with Stax, and he's like, "Come on, like we got to go and deal with this stuff." Then all of a sudden, like he's he's and what what killed me about that scene is they have um, I think his name's what Garbone, right? The, yes. the guy that's going with him. And he's like, "Go make some coffee." Like he goes out to do that so like you think this thing's going on and then boom like kills him quickly and all of a sudden he comes in with the coffee like wait what happened yeah. <laughs> like what's going on and like there's just like those it's this juxtaposition of like all this comedy with all this brutality like in rapid succession yeah that was just 
it was so like amazing to watch it when I first did. Yeah, and the you're right. The extra beat of what am I supposed to do now? Yeah, from from Carbone, the poor guy. Who just <laughs> you know, like all we know about him really is that he's not that quick and he's not Eugene Levy, but he kind of looks like him. So you <laughs> want him to be funny. And there's this this deadpan energy to him because yeah. he's never really in on what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, on the next viewing, it's just like oh yeah, he wouldn't want him anywhere near this. He'll screw yeah. it up. Mm-hmm. Go make coffee. It yeah. makes perfect sense. <laughs> but it's so human and weird to leave that button in at the end where he's like well now what yeah i, I was looking forward to coffee yeah. it's such a great moment because anybody else would cut it for time right like yeah. the movie's already two and a half hours what do we what can we lose mm-hmm. and no keep it you have to keep it it's well it's like the story about um you know coppola delivered a three-hour cut of the godfather and robert evans wanted it down to two so or paramount did somebody did so robert evans had it cut down to two hours just to prove that it wouldn't work and so the Paramount saw the two-hour cut. It's like, oh God, no, no, no! Go back to the family. They took out all the meals. They took out most of the family conversations. They took out anything that wasn't directly criminal, mm. and it just kills it. Yeah, of course, right? Because of course it would. It takes out the the texture. Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah, Goodfellas. I think maybe this is probably heresy, but I think it might be a better film than The Godfather, simply because it understands that they're not a family. Mm-hmm. Like the, the whole point of the Corleone, the tragedy of the Corleone family is that they stay together. Like mm-hmm. if they if they just cut Fredo out of the business, it'd be fine. Everybody would have been fine, and it all falls apart because of Fredo. Mm-hmm. And Goodfellas doesn't have the sentimentality, and I think it makes it a meaner film. It makes it a stronger film. It's also it's just different because it's a different kind of period piece. It's you know the difference between seventies filmmaking and nineties filmmaking. It moves so much faster and. It's like a shark. It's just merciless. Mm-hmm. But that, to me, feels more like a commentary on the subject than, you know, like, it's not, Scorsese's not trying to make some grand statement about the tragedy of the immigrant experience or America corrupting. Yeah, or just he's, fall from grace or yeah, something. He's just going, A, B, C, this is how it all goes bad. Mm-hmm. And it's a simple morality tale about a guy with no morals. <laughs> and, yeah, I... I I, it's the one I come back to more often, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm right there with you. You know, like I, I, I love The Godfather. It's just, it's a great film. It's but like I definitely <laughs> feel like I've always had a more of a soft spot for Goodfellas. I feel like that one just really. I don't. Know, I don't. I don't want to say speaks to me more, but like it. It's got something to it. Yeah. That really, really stands out. That I can always like bite into if it's ever on tv like i'm just like okay well that there goes the next like two three hours like this is where i'm gonna be now yeah how often does that happen when was the last time you got tracked with it the last time i i want to say it was like last year it was like on tv it's like one of the random movie channels i'm just like i got time i I can make time for this yeah because it's just it's just one of those movies that you can just come back to and just enjoy again and again and again you could know every line and still like love watching it again you know yeah. oh yeah, yeah I know the feeling well mm-hmm. uh, so is there anything of the film that you've uh, borrowed or stolen or absorbed or referenced or used incorporated into your own creative DNA somehow um, not professionally um, the the whole sequence you know the 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 funny house sequence yeah um, it, it does have like a lot of that like that under the under the surface aggression building and you know with friends like i I totally do that especially like if they're if they're like new friends you know like 
I'll, I'll take offense to something that they say, but like totally means nothing. You know, it's like, it's a friendly thing to say. And like, I, I build with it and I just, I go and like, I never like, I don't borrow any of the lines cause like that'll give it away cause right, right, everybody right. knows. Right. But like a hundred percent, like I, I, I love to, to mess with people like that. Like I, I love to just get them a little off, off, off their, com- out of their comfort zone with, with how they think I'm going to take something that they say. Okay. And like, I just push it a little further push it a little further and like give them a look like like what is, what is that about like why why are you doing that like what? so inappropriate yeah. <laughs> i've always thought that would work well in like contract negotiations Ooh. like the whole successful steps of psychopaths the things that you can incorporate <laughs> without actually being a terrible person but oh this isn't good this is a thing you can use this is a part of of aberrant psychology that you can employ but I don't. I don't have the confidence in myself. I think I would crack. I would break before it ever got anywhere. That's usually what happens to me. <laughs> I, I start doing it, then I burst out laughing. I think that's good. I think that's how people are supposed to. Do it. <laughs> that's the healthy response. <laughs> My thanks to Adjua Kapashisit, who you can see as the older Saul in Indian Horse, opening in theaters across Canada this Friday, April thirteenth. Thanks also to Carrie Wolf. She knows what she did. Adjuwak is on Twitter at Adjuwak, A-J-U-A-W-A-K, but he barely uses the platform, so you should follow the Indian Horse account at Indian Horse Film, all one word. And you can find Goodfellows in an excellent 25th anniversary special edition on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review up on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. Am I funny to you? Mm-hmm.